interesting. So today we have a guest. Unfortunately, we couldn't get the first three that we asked. Everyone else just kind of fell through. Apparently, I'm only on because everyone else said no. Yeah. Karen was busy today. I hate you guys. <laughs> so, her name's Michelle. She's a good friend of ours. But we've been friends with Michelle for, what, like eight years at this point? Shit. Oh, eight? No. No, no. 2009. Oh, Michelle. Yeah. How was your week? It was okay. I saw Baby Driver. Fucking love 10 years later. I know, oh I know, I Tell know. me that's not the best movie you've seen in the last. I don't know about the best five movie. Months. It was really good. Oh, best movie in the last five months? Yeah. All right, so let yeah, me. Yeah, I would say that. Let me complicate this for you guys a little bit. Oh my God. You guys both like Baby Driver, right? Yes. Yeah. And you had no issues with it. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, that's some issue with it. Okay. What issue? It was just like the the ending. Spoiler alert, I guess. I just, like her waiting for him. Like you kind of get no time frame of like how long he was in there. When I, when I first watched it, I loved it. And then I listened to this podcast about. So the bigger issue is that he should have been black. He had a black dad. He was like very like funky, vibey kind of person. Okay. But they made him white. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the issue. Yeah. That's what the podcast said. So the issue is more that he was white. And he had all the characteristics of being someone who's black. And then all of a sudden, like, he reaps from whiteness at the end of the movie. Okay. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I get you. Like, that's the reading. Okay. Yeah. I didn't really think about it that way. Yeah, I didn't think about it either. It was just like a movie I just turned my brain off. Yeah. And it's also, I love Edgar Wright. I know a lot of people were really mad about John Hamm. Because they had built up Jamie Foxx as the villain. Yeah. They built up Jamie Foxx as the villain. Thing. And then all of a sudden, they dupe you and tell you that. It's John Hamm. Like, Jamie Foxx just dies, like, right away. And it's yeah. just like, oh, John Hamm has, like, Jamie this Fox vendetta. And I'm just like... Ikea, the, one of the best parts of that movie. I know some people who did not like him. What? But I loved him in it. I thought he was, he was great. Way better. Okay. Yeah. What about you, folks? <sighs> I finished One Day at a Time. Second season? No, first season. Oh. How was it? I still haven't seen it. What? Like, at all. It was pretty good. I'm not going to lie. You probably won't like it. It's like a traditional sitcom. Laugh track and everything. Oh. I mean, you yeah. usually don't like stuff like that. I don't, but that's... It seems kind of like... It's going back to an older time kind of thing. Uh, I've been catching up on, on Dragon Ball Super. Uh, yeah. It's cool so far. I, I don't know. I feel like... Doesn't mean you don't like it. I feel like the issue with Super for me is that everyone painted it as being a new version a better version of Dragon Ball Z. Like they got rid of all the filler, they got rid of all the pacing issues with Dragon Ball. But then you watch it and it's the same fucking thing. There's so much filler. The animation is terrible. Especially in the beginning. Yeah, dude. Oh my God. Just, I don't know. I think that there's a soft spot for Dragon Ball for everyone who grew up watching it. Yeah. And they don't want to admit that there's a big issue with it, which is that it's super dated at this point. Definitely. It's not super watchable the way it used to be. And I think a lot of those elements bleed over into Super, and it's not. It's a hard watch for me sometimes. I, I get you. You grew out of it. But other than that, yeah, I, I finished AP Bio. I caught up on that. Um, it's pretty good. It's still, it stays good. Right? Yeah. What was my prediction on how many seasons that would go? Do you remember? Three, I said... I think. I, think I said three. Oh, my God. I you gave, said, like... I gave Champion six, I think. Yeah, you were ridiculous. I Okay, 
Oh my god, in six years, if that shit's still on, oh my god. Do you have I to think... watch everything that you pilot, Please, boys? I do. You want to just jump into it? You want to keep it short? Barry, this was definitely the best pilot we've seen. Absolutely. This was, whoo! I think this is HBO firing on all cylinders. HBO, thank you. HBO has long been and continues to be my favorite studio putting out TV. I don't think anyone rivals them except for FX. But FX has not put out anything great since Atlanta. You know, I feel like AMC was, was trying for a cool minute. Was like they were trying, dead? but then they caught HBO's hands and it was done. They got buried again. I mean, don't get me wrong. AMC still has Better Call Saul, which is great. Of course. But it hasn't had its heyday. That's what I'm saying. No, but then they it had was that. since The Walking they had Dead. Mad Men. They Didn't had that like the, the most? Walking Dead. There are these two spheres, which is artistic integrity and viewership. And I think AMC had its peak with Breaking Bad and The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Although I don't think The Walking Dead was ever one of those artistic integrity shows. No. I do think that it had massive, massive ratings. I don't ever think that it ever had the artistic integrity of Breaking Bad. No, I think Walking Dead was just like, oh my God, zombies. And like, that was the appeal. Yeah, but I also think it was just like a cultural moment where zombies were at the boiling point. That's when true. was even the last time that we had a show like The Walking Dead on there? Well, they try to... They try to Catch lightning and bottle again with Fear the Walking Dead, but it, it didn't yeah. take off. See, I always hear mixed things with that show. Yeah. I did too. I heard the people who continue to watch it say it's okay. But I heard initial reactions were terrible. I actually watched most of the first season and I hated it. That was terrible. It's a totally different group, right? Yeah, it is. But in continuity with the original like story? Like same universe, different region. Okay. It takes place in LA. Yeah. But like Ooh. some nowhere suburban area of LA. Oh, uh, trash. So yeah, so we're doing Barry today. What are you guys' initial reactions? I was kind of getting Dexter vibes. I don't know if anyone else was. I and I, I wrote that down. Like, I got Dexter vibes. Like, even like the way he was dressed. I feel like that was, they were trying to do that on purpose. Oh, okay. Like a visual reference. That and like at the beginning, like they also had like this song going and it reminded me so much of the like... <sighs> the Donnie Darko... Yeah, the Donnie Darko Dexter song. Yeah. I was like, oh, is this going to be like a funny Dexter? There's also like the whole thing with him only killing bad guys. Well, that's yeah, yeah, like yeah. what that guy was I saying. I thought so too. Like, you yeah. kill the bad guys. I mean, well, obviously the, the major difference is that one of them is a serial killer. Yeah. And the other one is like a, a hired assassin. gun. Yeah. Assassin for hire. Yeah, but I think we'll get into the themes about like as to why he does it. Because I thought that was one of the best parts of the show. Oh yeah, but definitely. What did you think? Yeah. What was your initial reaction? Uh, the same. I thought it was Dexter, but funny. It was pretty cool. But this one, it was good. It hit the right notes when it needed to. Everything like a dark comedy should be, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I, I have a soft spot for dark comedies. They're just like yeah. one of my favorite genres. I think I already gave my initial reaction by saying that. I think you and I both gave our initial reactions by saying this is the best pilot. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was... It's kind of in the line with the... HBO drama mm-hmm. comedy kind of thing. But it also is... I was going to ask you that. Did you feel like it was an HBO show? Yeah, I absolutely think it's an HBO show. Yeah. Like, it feels like an HBO show from the way that it's presented uh-huh. to the way that the music is shot to the way that the night scenes are shot and the lighting yeah. in the night scenes. I love There's just so much about it that just 
bleeds or emanates is HBO style. Was uh, anyone else thinking a drive at the end? A little bit. With that little song? But I feel like people who aren't from L.A., and I don't know if the creators are from L.A., uh, they think that we're obsessed with the diner culture. And I feel like every <laughs> single really? time, yeah, every single time I see something represented in Los Angeles, there's this, like, diner scene. Pulp Fiction, there's a diner scene. Oh, okay. Drive, there's a diner scene. Everyone thinks that there's, like, this, dine, this thriving diner culture in Los Angeles, which I don't necessarily think is true. I think, I mean, I don't think there's, like, a, a thriving diner culture, but, like, you have to admit that there is, like, a diner culture just because, like, L.A. is so, like, like, everything's open late and, like, I mean, people need something to do, like, after whatever it is they're doing. That's, like, the thing that I think of most. When we would go out at the end of the night, we'd always end up at some hole in the wall or a diner or something along those lines. Yeah, I definitely think that diners are a part to LA culture, but I don't think that they're as vital as something as like a food cart, like a taco stand. I always thought or, it was more of an East Coast thing. Yeah, like I think I think diners like they definitely are more of an East Coast thing, like a New York thing. But yeah. I think that people have this idea that L.A. has this diner culture where, like, we always go to it. But also, I just think the diner has this weird place in culture where this is where you go when it's late at night. You're thinking about what you did. And this is where he goes to, like, decompress after he just did whatever he had to do. So I don't know. I thought that was interesting. I think what you were going to get into is just like LA as a character. Yeah. Well, I guess we can get to, we can get into that in the themes and the style cuz I wrote a lot. I feel like I got a lot from him, but not too much. From Bill Hader? Yeah. I think this is like his Barry. most I think this is his most subdued role. Okay. That this and Skeleton Twins. Kristen Wiig? Yeah, Kristen Wiig. I feel like this is his most subdued role since Skeleton Twins. Because he always plays like this eccentric kind of out there guy. And he hasn't really had a role where he's just kind of like the straight man. Like he's not really someone that's out there. But I, I like that. I like when, when actors step out of their comfort zone and they do kind of something else. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think this is, he didn't do a whole lot, but I got a lot out of it. Yeah, it was amazing. You know what I'm realizing too? This is the second pilot we do in which a comedian we love is like becoming big time now because we did Mindy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But Mindy, Mindy didn't star in that. Oh, she didn't. But I mean, big time. She's she had a hand in creating it. Yeah. Yeah, You know, but I feel like Bill Hader is already kind of big time. Really? And we'll get into that themes because I want to talk about how Bill Hader has escaped going big time how he's always kind of been like, like a side character. A character is that a good yeah. thing i don't know we'll okay, talk, we'll talk about, about it we'll yeah because yeah, yeah. i have i have a lot to say about that all right so barry created by alec berg and bill Hader. we'll get to the recap to okay so, so barry's basically about this guy who's a vet and is now an assassin for hire he gets a new job in la and while on the job, he kind of finds that he likes theater because he kind of is disillusioned with being an assassin for hire. Like, he's just kind of doing it for no particular reason. After he finds out that he really wants to do theater, 
the guy that he's supposed to kill, he doesn't kill him, and that gets him in trouble with the person who hired him. He runs into them, and they have an altercation. And then after that altercation, the episode ends. The premise of the show, which it's it's a subversion of the action genre or like the assassin genre where it's like this flashy thing where Dexter is kind of like this kind of like a voyeuristic, like you're looking at someone who's crazy, do what they do and how much they love killing. Instead of that, it's just like supposed to be this boring, boring, boring job where he just kills people and it's just he's going into his office and just do work. So, yeah, so the style, which is something that we already kind of got into. It's a dark comedy or like a dramedy. And it's no longer in the sitcom vein. But one of the things that you pointed out that the co-creator, Alec Berg, has worked on SNL and, and, and Seinfeld, which is very much one of those shows that was the anti-sitcom where we wanted to get away from the lovey-dovey shit, which we've mentioned before on AP Bio. Definitely going to be like a character-driven show where we find out that He's going to be someone who has trouble with his job and trouble with being happy. And he's going to unravel a little bit. And we're going to, they're going to unpack the character. Eventually he's going to go crazy. I already know it. You think so? Yeah. I love the, like his shit is like, there's going to be a huge decision making scene and like going to just boil down to one point And then he's just going to have like a, he's going to snap. I feel. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like he, the capacity for like being crazy isn't in him. He seems kind of subdued, but maybe that's what you're getting at. Is that like, cause he's so subdued that he's just going to break. I mean, he uh, just seems depressed, which is what he is. I don't know. I don't get like the crazy vibe from him. I don't think he's going to go off on anyone. But not to be that guy, but he's also a veteran. You don't know what type of shit he's seen. That's true. He does have right? PTSD. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. Have a trigger one day. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I think so too. So. There's also like the gritty tone, which is, I mentioned a little bit in the beginning, like the night scenes and the way it's lit is very cinematic. And it's also very reminiscent of something that HBO has done, which is like the night of or anything that has to do with something at night, HBO does pretty well. Because HBO is is more... Better than well, Yeah, because HBO is, is, they do pretty much like mini movies. And I mean, this show, most people who work on it have worked with hbo people like alex berg worked on silicon valley he also did curb your enthusiasm so these are people who are students of the new school of sitcoms or like the new school of dramedies and dark comedies so they know how to do it and i think one of the things they balance well is that it was very there was like funny moments and there was funny situations but the moments where it was supposed to be he was going to kill someone or he was going to shoot someone or something like that. I think they handled it well. And the tone switch from being like a comedy, like this wacky comedy where he gets roped into performing on stage to kind of a movie about him killing someone. You know what I mean? Yeah. I and I think they handled that pretty well. And again, I think it's HBO at its prime. I think HBO continues to impress. And I'm an HBO stan. I can tell. We know you love HBO. <laughs> and I fucking love HBO. We know. There is no other studio who puts out as good content as HBO. You should get them to sponsor you. I fu- oh, dude, I fucking wish. I kind of got like what you were saying at the end about the, the drive thing, like with the music especially. Like it seemed very like... Like synth heavy, kind of 80s style. Yeah, like exactly. These, like 
dark and gritty. Which I feel like there's kind of like a revival of. Yeah, like you hear I, I it a lot like in Stranger so Things. I'm yeah, like... I, oh, that's another thing we can talk about, uh-huh. which is the resurgence of pastiche, which is just paying homage to the 80s. But there's this really great video essay about the way it's paid homage. It is an homage talking about the way that the 80s were fucking terrible. At least the original movie was. The new one finds itself in this weird middle ground where it both thinks that the the 80s were terrible, but they're also kind of cool. Stranger Things, on the other hand, was something where it loves the 80s. It's obsessed with the 80s. Yeah. And it can't exist without the 80s. Uh, Thor recently came out with this soundtrack that was all synthy, all like 80s pop glam rock kind of thing. You know what I mean? You said who? Thor, Thor Ragnarok. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think that that's that style of like the '80s and that pastiche is definitely really popular right now. And I don't know how I feel about it. Like sometimes I think I, I actually I don't like Stranger Things. I think it's just overrated. I don't think it's Here. amazing, but I enjoy it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna front. It's one of those things where like it didn't hit for me when it came out. I I feel the first season's a lot stronger than the second. I'll say that much. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. I just feel like it's one of those shows where, like, look at how cool we are for liking the 80s. And look how little we care about. Oh, like that one book, Ready Player One? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. God. Look at at how. Everyone's so hyped for that. I don't see it. They're hyped for it because it's it's paying homage to all nostalgia that you And they got a bunch of licenses for it, huh? But, I mean, I also think that we're living in a cultural moment where all nostalgia is cultural capital. Anything that you liked as your in your childhood is getting a revival or a new movie or something where like we're gonna bring it up or we're gonna confirm something from it. It's just Lol's Dragon Ball Z. They just don't want things to die, <laughs> but I think that it says something about where we are as a culture at the moment. We're not okay with the current climate. Things are not great, so we look to things in the past. Wow. I see that. But I was also going to say that I think it's just that nostalgia sells. Like you were saying about like the the Dragon Ball Z thing, like a lot it of people really just does. watch it because they watched it before and it's like that's that's what it feels like now. Like, oh, like look at this cool thing from the 80s that you were really into. Like, now we're going to make something like it. Yeah, people see things through like rose-tinted glasses. Like when you watched it it was the best thing ever. Do you get tired of people bringing stuff back? Yeah, I think so. And I also think that like People don't like to admit how shitty some things were. Yeah. Like they, they just they think that just because it really meant to, something to them when they were kids that it, it means something now. I feel all triggered right now because I feel you're trying to say Dragon Ball Z people are like that. Dragon Ball Z people are absolutely like that. Uh, Dragon Ball Z people are the most they're the biggest bros I've ever met. Because it's such a like male dominated show. You have to just keep trying and you'll get better. I think that's why people who go to the gym love Dragon Ball Z. Oh, uh, okay. Because it's all about outdoing yourself and reaching this perseverance yeah it's ridiculous <laughs> i was gonna say that what you were talking about reminds me of this episode of philly d where he was talking about that you know like when jumanji was getting remake people were like oh my god jumanji like the old one and like the old one didn't even make like that great of a rating score on yeah. rotten tomatoes and like now the revival like did better which i mean i'm not saying that like the re- like remakes are better i'm just saying like I heard a lot of good stuff from that movie. I yeah, it's, it. it's it's really hit or miss. Like, I think there are a few examples where they do better than the original source material. 21 Jump Street is a good example. The new Blade Runner was fantastic. I think you can do it. It just depends 
who doesn't? And even with Star Wars. Oh, I was going to say that. Star Wars is back. They made a Rampage movie, which is ridiculous. Oh, um, the Tom Hardy one. Oh, the desert uh, one. Max. Yeah, oh, Mad Max. Yeah. See, they, so there's, there is very yeah. much this cultural moment where we want to go back to the past. I mean, obviously, nostalgia has never not sold. But there is this market for it where we want this and we want it now and we want it as much as possible because it's familiar. It's something that we like and it's something that takes us back to a better time. It makes me think that they were doing this. But I, th- I think what people ignore is that sometimes what you liked wasn't as good as you thought so. It was kind of shitty and you can admit it. Your taste has grown and you can move on. It's okay. No. <laughs> Anyway, so this long-ass diatribe about something that really wasn't that present in the show. Anyway, so, yeah, so I guess we can get into the themes. And the major theme, of course, is, as we've mentioned already, is that this is just kind of like another job. This is just kind of like an office job where he goes to work, he clocks in, and he's kind of tired of it. He hates it. He's, like, bored. He's very bored. Yeah. He, he, has, he wants nothing to do with it. It's just another job to him. And I think by L- doing that... Literally the complete opposite of Dexter. Exactly. He was in love with it. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. in Dexter, that was his, like, dessert. That was what he did to yeah. escape. And in this, it's a complete juxtaposition between, like, something that's kind of crazy to everyday life where we don't see people killing each other every single day. Yeah. And it's juxtaposed with, like, this mundanity or, like, this monotony of going to work every day and just like, ugh, just another day at the office or whatever. And I think that is the channel into him as a character, which is like this existentialism where he doesn't know what to do with himself. Mm -hmm. That's there because of his past with being a veteran, but it's also there, and as he mentions, with depression, because he deals with depression. And I thought, I don't know about you guys, I thought they did a pretty decent job of, of presenting it. Because they didn't present it as like, if he does this new project, which is get into acting, that it's going to fix his depression. But it's just something else that will make it go away for a little bit, or at least just take his mind off of it. And I think that's, that's an accurate representation of how people with depression deal with it sometimes. Like, it's not... Like, it isn't going to make it go away. Yeah, like, yeah. it's not depression as something that is curable. Mm-hmm is a problem curable but it's not it's, a, it's an ongoing diseases, process right it doesn't really go away it just you stall it right yeah i guess that's true but it's also like the other diseases bacterial or viral and this one's more mental something happened in the development process what about you michelle what did you i like that they that they did do that that they kind of presented theater as like a i guess more of a distraction to him an escape, um, an escape. Yeah, yeah it's an escape yeah, it's not going to cure him, but at that moment, he felt something as opposed to, like, his routine. And that's basically what I'm getting from his theater thing is, like, he's just trying to feel something. Yeah. Which is something you don't see often. Escapes in movies or shows. I've never seen, like, an acting one. Yeah, I guess. So what it's situated in his escape is this acting class where I think the way they present the acting class is kind of in the middle. 
they don't present it as like this very cool thing where like these guys are big deals, but they kind of they're they're a little bit of losers. Like you know what I mean? Like they're not they've they've yet to make it, but they're working hard to make their dream come true. And I think that's part of what attracts him to it is that like he sees how hard they're working and he sees that although they haven't made it yet, they're fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And I think he wants that for himself. But I mean, whether or not that's gonna solve his depression, I don't think is the point of that. I just think that the way that they presented the acting scene was interesting because it's both something that gives him hope, but it's also something that's very true to LA. And I think that kind of situated this show in LA. Like that made it very LA to me. Because that's a very LA mindset. Did, did they did they seem a little like obnoxious to you? Yeah, of course. Like I'm an actor. You know? No, no, no. Not like that, but oh, what what the God. way they did seem to me is more like... They, like, that bugs me so much. It's know. more like, look how quirky we are, because we're actors, and we do... Like, the drama kids. Mm-hmm. And Michelle, you wow. can you can speak okay. to them. I'm not saying that... Triggered. <laughs> no, because Michelle's not like that at all. But what I'm saying is, you can speak to that. Well, how did you feel about to it? What, what did you think? Yeah, I totally get that. Like, in theater, like, we're just... I mean, I guess, yeah, like, we were just kind of like, oh, my God, look at me. Like, we're so weird and different. But, like, it's cool. And, like, yeah, that's 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 pretty much how, like, the theater thing was when I was in high school. It's a thing, um, though. It's very much a thing. Yeah. Did you think they were, like, advanced actors? No. No? And I think that's the whole point of that scene. Because I think they presented Henry Winkler, which is the teacher, as it was almost like a cult. Like yes. he was not a good teacher, yeah. and it was actually it was it wasn't a good acting class. But the fact that he has a little bit of experience, and they don't, they're trying to chase and extract everything they can from him because he's seen as someone who's made it while they haven't. Yeah, like with think... the book, his car. That's just like, oh, like look at this guy. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. Arrogant motherfucker. But I think he's mm-hmm. he's just someone. He's kind of a cult leader and he's someone who's just abusing his power and who's had a little bit of exposure and he's trying to use that to his advantage on people who are a little disadvantaged. He's probably trash too. Okay, so this is something that I wanted to talk about, which is the meta read, right? And this is where we tease a little bit in the beginning. So this being situated in between a narrative about acting and the acting scene in L.A., it's kind of a critique or it's a nod, whether or not it was intentional, to Bill Hader's career. Because he has yet to have that huge moment in the spotlight where he's the main guy and he's like this Hollywood famous dude. He's famous, but he's not like an A-list actor. I think his biggest role was Trainwreck with Amy Schumer and he was a love interest. Oh, Wasn't okay. his biggest role Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? Oh, he was but in that. Even say that. <laughs> Damn, probably. Like you can't, you can't even say that voice acting is a spotlight. Okay, fine. Yes, I'll give you that. But, but that because, was like his like one leading role that I could like really think of. Yeah, I mean, he's had roles where he comes out in, but he hasn't really had like the major spotlight yet. And I talked about it a little bit last time in the podcast, but I didn't leave it in. But I talked about how I think it has a little bit to do with artistic integrity because this show. The writing is is fairly complex. He's not into dialogue humor necessarily. He's more into like developing this character as someone who's human or someone who's going through the process of like being human. 
Bill Hader being situated within like an L.A. acting narrative kind of harkens back to his career path, which is he's never really gotten out of this this character actor place where he's consistently downplayed or he's never really reached a point of like major stardom. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I just think that you can see similarities between his acting career and the acting careers of the actors depicted on the show. And I think that's interesting. Do you think it's his own like situation? Do you think like he chooses this or he's not among the chosen? So I, that's what I, th- I think this, is, this goes back to like the artistic integrity. I think that he doesn't necessarily want to sell out. And of course, this is just a theory because yeah. you don't really he know could possibly, he possibly just didn't get the break. Mm-hmm. But he stepped away from like a job. He stepped away from SNL because he didn't want to work there anymore. Yeah. And that's a consistent job. Yeah. Like yeah. you get, Keenan has been there forever. Bobby Moynihan was there forever. But I guess that goes back to like the monotony, right? Yeah, I just think that to me, it's because he doesn't want to sell out. And he wants to depict someone. He wants to develop these characters in an artful way rather than like just like trash talking humor kind of shit. Because he's been in a lot of shit. For millions. People like define success as different. And I think that's also a little bit of a through line or a little, it's mirrored by the character where like he probably has plenty of money and he's probably doing well. But he's not finding happiness in what he's doing. And I think Bill Hader finds happiness in being his own boss. Because when you're working at HBO, they give you a lot of leeway. A show that he created, a show that he wrote, and a show that he directed, I think he gets a lot more leeway in that. So I I don't know. I think think it's really interesting that he situated him there. And I think it's kind of autobiographical in a way. It's just a theory. Do you think HBO likes to take chances? Or risks, I should say? Absolutely. I think they take the most risks. I don't think anyone takes as many risks. They don't have plenty, plenty to lose, though. I mean, they're kind of established already well, in see, that regard. See, the, the reason why HBO is allowed to take risks is because they have a guaranteed income stream. People will continue to pay their fees, and they'll continue to have money and put out these things that are kind of unchallenged. That's why John Oliver can go to Russia and talk to Snowden and put it out in the U.S. Someone who was supposed to be extradited for treason, pretty much. And he went to go talk to him. So I think HBO has a lot of leeway. Oh, shit. Is this turning into an HBO Stan podcast? Yeah, that's my next podcast. HBO boy. <laughs> go for it. So in the story, uh, Barry kind of like shows some sort of interest in Sally, who it appears is going to be like the love interest. I was bringing up that she kind of gave off this manic pixie dream girl vibe. For those of you who don't know, a Manic Pixie Dream Girl is basically like like a girl that comes out and she's kind of like the quirky girl that's like, oh my god, I'm here to get you out of your depression and yeah. like, this is why life is so amazing and this is why you should live. So is this like one of those things where he sees everything he wants? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not really it's like not there? Real, yeah, she's not a real like person. Like she's not really a character. I think I know what it's you're a, It's about. a character device to present a character to a new world it's like zoe deschanel in 500 days of summer like it kind of like yeah. puts all this thought and expectations about her and it's just that's not who she is yeah and i think that movie does deals with it well because that movie is equal parts her being a manic pixie dream girl but, then, but equal parts like him making it up in his head about exactly who she is. Yeah. so it's one it's one part like he sees her as something who has achieved something that he has not 
achieve, which is happiness. Being happy in the midst of not being like successful, which is something that he's essentially reached success. He's just not happy, but he sees her as like everything that she wants. But that's kind of an issue. It's kind of a trope. Yeah, it is a trope because it it gives her like no agency. Exactly. She's not really anyone important. She's not. She's not a person. Basically, the manic pixie dream girl isn't allowed to really exist and like be her own character and have her own interests, have her own backstory. She's just there as a trope to make the man self-realize. Yeah. And that's basically like the vibe I was kind of getting from her. And you know, I think that I don't know how you felt about this, but do you think she was presented as someone who could get him out of depression? Like, is he is she supposed to be the cure for his depression, or do you think that it was just purely romance? I don't know because. I mean, I want to say they didn't, but in the scene where they're in the bar and she's kind of like flirty with him and he seems like, oh my God, everything, well, not everything is amazing, but like the way they sh- they showed her, like the camera, kind of like glowy and he was like... so mesmerized. Like, yeah, he was, he yeah. definitely was. And I think the camera and just the slow motion sells that, is that it's like yeah. this this dream state of him like seeing her and wanting her. I think it accomplishes what it means to do, but yeah. I think that's a writing issue where okay. like... It presents romance, and I don't think I don't necessarily think it does, but I think maybe he's just projecting everything that the theater presented for him onto her. If they presented her as a possible solution for depression, I think that takes away a little bit from the depiction of depression because it's no longer look at this realistic depiction of how depression is. It's more like this guy's depressed, but we're gonna fix it later with a woman that would but, suck that would suck but some people do have that like depiction of depression like oh i'll fix it this way i'm just missing this aspect in my life and then it'll all go away didn't that happen in 500 days of summer didn't he get depressed when she left him see but that's a different kind of depression so that's like situational depression yeah. right that's like something happened to me and i'm gonna be depressed for a certain amount of time it's like forgetting sarah marshall and depressed because she left me yeah. but his depression is more like I've suffered through trauma. This is the way my life is lived now, and I don't feel anything. Mm -hmm. And something that's possibly going to give me some hope or make me feel something is theater. So I hope that they don't do that, where they present her as a cure for depression, because that would suck. And it wouldn't be as artful, or it wouldn't be as as good a representation for depression. I think it'll just add to like the the whole like stigma of like oh you you just need to get out of it like you just need this one thing to get out of it and I don't want them to do that because some people are just stuck in a depression for ever and like nothing really gets them out of it. And that's not to say that someone having a significant other can't help you feel better at times. Yeah. But it's also like to think about it depression in that way creates a bigger stigma creates a bigger divide where like people think that if only you just reach certain milestones you would no longer be depressed but i think the show deals with depression well because he has reached these milestones of success well success through like dark channels which is money or has money but he still deals with depression because nothing is really feeling that void for him Mm -hmm. you think he gets that seven figure salary probably 
Yeah. I guess I guess the class stuff they haven't really explored. Too much. I got a question for my hitman out there. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know if they really present him in like a like an upper class thing. I mean, I don't think he's upper class, but I think he definitely has money. And that scene I mean, where he's yeah, like, yeah. he's like, oh, like you got to pay cash, and you got to pay two months or whatever. I thought that was the, mm. the hint. Well, into. well, for me, you know, like the beginning scene where the guy was sending him to LA. Yeah. Did you get Ontario because it was cheaper? Yeah, yeah. So okay. like, well, um, he's not rich for sure. Yeah, but he wasn't paying also, for it. Yeah, and I also don't mm. think that he's struggling for money. Okay. And I think that it would make sense if he had some money because so far they've presented him to someone who doesn't really care about material things. Or he doesn't care about anything. He's just depressed. Yeah. The only thing he really cares about so far yeah, is Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think he really cares about anything. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, if he had money or the way that they, they wrote money into his character was kind of like, yeah, I have money to spend. It's no big deal. Yeah. That's not really a, like a thought in his head. Like he doesn't have to worry about exactly because yeah. he's more worried about like nothing. Oh shit! <laughs> Fuck. Wow. What did you what think else? of the just so like everyone else besides Bill Hader? I liked, I liked the acting troupe. I think the litmus test or the test for me for acting or theater people is if I don't like them, I think it's a good representation because I find them super annoying. Wow, I'm triggered. In love, they're all kind of geeky, nerdy, struggling actor guys. And it made me hate them. So I was like, oh, this is probably a good representation. Wow. There's a little bit of pretentiousness, even though you haven't made it big yet. Yeah, I get that. So I I thought that secondary characters were cool. I really liked uh, Monroe, Steven Roots. He's great. I think he's such a great actor. What did you think of the Chechen guy? I thought Noho Hank was great. He was funny. And I think he's pretty much the only comedy relief, right? What did you not, think? Not the skinny guy, right? Okay. I don't really get a comedic relief vibe from like anyone here. Like It's more like awkward situational comedy, mm. I guess. Of, like This is kind of awkward, but funny comedy. Mm. No one really stood out to me, honestly. Even In terms girl, of funny? Yeah. yeah. What did no, you think of the secondary like, characters? Just... Santos? They were kind of bleh. Really? Oh, yeah, oh. I didn't even know we had issues with this episode. I didn't uh, think they were that threatening. Yeah. I feel yeah, like they were supposed to be threatening, but I, I didn't get like a threatening a little vibe stale. from them. The, 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 the guy that tells them about the job was probably the best one. Yeah, no, Hank? Yeah. The bald dude, right? No, 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 The guy that tells him about the oh, job. Steve who flies right. him out? Yeah, he was great. He was the, the, best, the best part. Even even the, the, the girl he likes, Sally. She you, was, you didn't care about her? Yeah, she was... She was okay. Yeah, she was in... Like, I think that's the... Baggage. For me, that's the weakest part of the episode. Was the, Sally, Sally's character? Sally's character being a manic pixie dream girl. Oh, okay. Because it's just such a trope. Yeah. Like, everything else was great, but that little trope where, like, She's a fast talker, and she kind of talks over everyone. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's 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 just a little tired. It all serves haters like development, right? Yeah, yeah. It feels very John Green book. But we should talk about how good Bill Hader was, though. Oh, he was the he was amazing. He was great. Yeah, he especially was. that monologue. Oh, that was my oh favorite my scene. God. I was gonna ask you what was your yes. favorite scene. Yeah, yeah, I mean, even though you mean you pretty much know from the very beginning what it is. Yeah, it's, but I, I just think the way he delivered it, yeah, like he was kind of like breathy, like he was out of breath. He's like, whatever. Like, it seemed like very much 
a moment where he was just, I have nothing else. I'm just going to tell you. I might as well tell you. I've never admitted this to anyone else. I might as well tell you. What did you think of the secondary characters, Michelle? Um, none of them really stood out to me. Like, at all. I'm just interested in Barry and his story. Yeah. I also really hope they weren't trying to make you care about Ryan. Because if they did, to me, they failed. Because I didn't give a shit when he died. Yeah. But I don't think you're supposed to care. I hope not, because I was just like, okay, he's dead. I will add that in this episode, none of the lows was on. Oh my god. Just pointing that out there. Caesar, edit this out. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for the BTs. For the what? For the BTs. One more game. For the BTs. What? Michelle. I kind of agree with Karen on this, that like the broken TVs don't really make sense. We got to stop with the guests. Yeah, we, we do. No, because if I'm going to break my TV, it's because I'm pissed off or this shit sucks so bad that I need to break my TV. Do not disrespect the BTs like that. Oh, my God. Do not. Can I just... I'm going to edit this shit out. She ain't nobody with those. Man. Um, you did not. Right. Michelle, I will I'll ask go this by again. your... By your lame rating system. I will ask this again. How many? How many? Mm. Oh, God. BTs. Mm. Does this motherfucker get? Mm. Um, I want to give it a high four. Okay. But I don't oh. know how high mm. I want to go. Mm. We do the decimal system here. You can do decimal. I know you guys have decimals. I'm just, I don't know how high I want to go. Oh, my. God. I'll just go. I'll go four point five. Okay. Say, there okay. you go. Bill Hader was amazing. It was such a good depiction of depression. It was interesting, familiar but not familiar, if that makes sense. Okay. And the reason why I docked it was just because of Sally. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Santos. I'm gonna say the same thing I said in the beginning of the episode. This, without a doubt, was the best pilot. I've seen in this by far, I think. Actually, no, not by far because I really did like AP Bio, but they're different, completely different. So even my score for each of them, it doesn't even matter because they're just different. But I I love Bill Hader in this. He did a lot for me, even though like sometimes you weren't getting a lot, but it was like you were getting a lot. I don't know if that makes any sense, but the monologue scene was just like a one perfect for me. And I, the only thing that, like, it's not a perfect score for me is just secondary characters I feel were not strong. Okay. And I kind of do get that vibe that you're telling me about uh, the pixie. Manic pixie dream. Yeah, it just serves, like, him. It doesn't do anything for her at all. Yeah. And um, I really like the music for me was good. And you're totally right on that HBO night scenes thing. It was just so good. So what's the verdict? The BTs, dog. How many broken T's? I'm doing 4.1. Wow, really? 4.1. That's the highest grade you've given. Yeah, it is. And I think this show has definitely earned it. I feel like you're getting more, I guess... He's actually thinking about it. I admit that my scores have been up and down in the past. Last episode, he was praising the show the entire time. And then he gave it a three. 
I don't understand Fucking you. full of shit. I don't understand yeah, the like, BTs. You don't understand the BTs from him. My BTs are consistent. Everything I say in the meat of the show consists with my squad. Okay, listen, my friend. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <sighs> We're not talking about your BTs right now? Santos BT. What did you give? Uh, Maybe? No, the Mindy one. Three point something. You gave it a three point eight, and you gave this one a four point one. Yeah, but that's different. It's comedy. I guess. It's di- you can't. Well, hold up, hold up. Do not try to okay, manipulate the okay, BTS. Okay, okay, okay. Right. Caesar, how many? How many BTS? Oh, oh. <laughs> what kind of question was that? That's not how you ask the BTS. Okay. Caesar, my dog, oh my, my homie, my co-pilot. Tell the world, dog. Mm-hmm. Tell them right now. It's coming. How many BTs? Oh, I'm going to tell you after my explanation. So <laughs> I thought Bill Hader was fantastic. Uh, one of the best performances I've seen from him in a, quite a long time. I thought the situation was great. I thought the premise was really funny. I thought it was, it was done really well. It was done artfully where they juxtaposed this kind of crazy profession with someone who is tired of it and is just doing it because it's a job. I also really liked how they depicted depression because you rarely get good depictions of depression. It's usually this stigmatized thing where you got to get over it or you're only dealing with it because you're going through some ridiculous thing. But this was like something that he was dealing with and they showed it visually really well before they even told you that he was dealing with depression. Like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, yeah, this guy's dealing with something, existentialism, depression, something like that. And then once they tell you, you're like, oh, of course, it makes sense. So I thought visually they told that really well. So all of that to say that I give this 4.6 broken television. Oh! I just thought it was a really, really strong pilot. My friend. That is the highest rating we've gotten in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Wow. Nice. There goes to show that the BTs are real. The BTs are strong. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. This one's hard. Yeah. This one is real hard right here. Okay. So we talked, yeah, we talked about what we liked about it. But is that enough to stretch it? This could and, easily and be another a thing, short one. I think this is going to be one of those things where you bring back the segment of, will this get an ending? Or will it get canceled? So I'll let oh. our guests go first. Oh my God. Michelle, how long do you see this show going for? Oh, God. This how long do HBO shows usually go for? Well, some are very long. Median range is probably like two to three seasons. What's your prediction for how long, since you don't want to give it a number... What's your prediction for how long it'll take for it to be finished? I'm going to say three seasons. So in three seasons, you're saying that it will finish its narrative? It will finish the entire story? Yeah, it seems like a three-season story. Okay. What about you, Santos? This is probably the hardest one I'd have to predict. I think three seasons is a safe bet. I think that's pretty good. I'm going to say, you know what, Michelle? That's the first time I agree with you in this whole podcast. I'm going to go three seasons, too. And I say there's an ending. Okay. I like that. I'm going to do 
All right. So I think the show is good, but I don't see a whole lot coming out of it. I don't know if I would like to see this as one of those things where like he gets like a new story that he has to, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to see him. I don't want to see these characters or this character in another situation because the scope of this so far, it's kind of like a small story about him dealing with depression and how theater provides an out for that. I don't see them stretching this into a long story. I don't think it should need more than one season. I'll say two seasons, but I don't think it needs more than one season. Maybe this is just like a season one thing, though. No? Could be. I mean, he's a freaking hitman, right? He can get in any types of trouble, and this could easily turn into something else. But I think the hitman stuff is is only there to flesh out the depression stuff. I think he's depressed first, assassin second. But, I mean, assassin can get you into a load of bullshit. The depression stuff is going to just be with the character side. The assassin stuff is going to be all, like, plot and what moves the show and what are the issues and what are the problems and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say two seasons, but it only needs one. And it should have just been a limited series. It probably should have. Yeah. I kind of get that vibe, too, from it. Did... Girls overstay its welcome? I don't think so. I'm a big, I'm a big girls fan though. Oh my god, is, HBO again. Is it, okay. st- is it still on? No, it ended. Oh, okay. I do think that it should have ended the season before. But I really liked the last season. But I love girls though. Shout out to my girl though from Get Out. A lot of people were good in Get Out, actually. Yeah. That's such a good movie. Shout out to Get Out. Shout girl. out to Get Out one time. Yeah, seriously. Uh, Shout out to Get Out again. Should have won. The it should have fucking won. Just saying. Do you guys want to get into that? I'm kidding. Oh no. Next <laughs> All right, episode. So that's pretty much it. Anything else you guys want to cover? Next week we'll be doing Queer Eye. Oh my god. All right, guys. So this was Barry. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. All right, passengers. We have landed. Feel free to move around. This is the end of the episode. Anyway, thanks for coming on, Michelle. We appreciate it. Yeah. No problem. Hopefully our primary guest shows up next time. Yeah. They'll just be our secondary guest every single time. Wow. Actually, you're like fourth. Okay, bye. I am stopping it right about now. Peace.